0: we might continue to carry your word out to a needy world. So we thank you and praise you again for who you are in each one of our lives. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
1: Morning again. Good to see you all. Uh, So most of the time on Mission Sunday we have a guest speaker. I feel like we kind of had that last week with Ash and his message, where is, is he here? Is he, he's going to pick up our food, so he may have gone already. But uh, that was a great message on Psalm 67. Great missions message, if you were, if you were here. Uh, and so we thank Ash for that. But today, I'm, I decided that I would, I think I, I did it seven, every seven years, I'm going to do the Mission Sunday sermon. And today is the heart of of our 2023 missions conference. Last night, we saw a really great missions movie. If you were here, uh, you would agree with that, right? Yay. Just amazing things that God does. Uh, The End of the Spear, if you haven't seen it, we recommend it. This morning, we prayed for our missionaries. We've heard from several members in missions, and we'll hear from others. even during this message and then during the lunch. So with all this emphasis on missions, on missionaries, uh, let me ask a question. What is our, what is the churches, Christians, each of us, what is our mission? I won't let you answer because if it's the wrong answer, that would be bad. No, just kidding. We have an idea, right, of what our mission is. At Bridges, we have a mission statement. It's summarized on the walls here. If, you, if you've seen it, this is a summary or a little blurbs of highlights of our mission statement. The mission statement is, The mission of Bridges Church is to glorify God by renewing lives through the power of the Holy Spirit and equipping people to bring Christ-centered change to the world. A lot We could unpack that if you wanted, but that's not what we're going to do this morning. That's our attempt to summarize the mission that we believe God, through His word, has given uh, this church and maybe even the church in many ways. This mission is stated in different ways, with different emphasis, emphases, emphasises throughout the Bible. But probably the most familiar statement, of mission is found in Matthew 28. Sean read it this morning. This is what Christians call the Great Commission. Let's let's stand together and read this aloud, if you will. I'll lead us, and you just read with me aloud. Jesus said to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You can be seated. Thanks for, thanks for reading. Our mission is to take the gospel to all nations, baptizing and making disciples. And it's important to understand that that word nations isn't talking about uh, land masses or com- Uh, land masses, with borders, country borders. It's the Greek word ethnos, where we get our word ethnic. It refers to a group of people, uh, a group of people that's related together through a common language and culture. Former president of the Southern Baptist International Mission Board, David Platt, said, what we need to understand is that Jesus did not command us simply to take the gospel to as many individual people as we can. Instead, He made it clear that his followers are to make disciples among every people group in the world. Our mission isn't just to reach people for Christ, but to reach peoples, people groups for Christ, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to all ethnic groups. Now, historically, from our founding in 1975, this has been a value of our church. It's included even up there, in our core values, engagement in mission, engagement in the Great Commission. In fact, because of this, some have called Bridges a missions church. What do I mean by a missions church? A missions church takes an active role, it's up on the screen there, in seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ go to the unreached by sending and supporting qualified people Missionaries to places where the church either does not exist, is only beginning, or is very small and weak. In Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, we read about the first missions church. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the first example we have of of missionaries being sent out. And notice that Paul and Barnabas are sent out by the church in Antioch. The call to send them came through the Holy Spirit of God, but it came to both the missionary and to the church. The responsibility for sending missionaries to the unreached belongs to the church. Now, I think we would all agree that not all churches are missions churches. It seems that for many people and churches, missions is uh, maybe an optional program that they may or may not emphasize. Sometimes they emphasize it, sometimes not. Hudson Taylor, founder of China Inland Mission, would not agree. He said the Great Commission, what we read in Matthew, is not an option to consider, but a command to obey. Jesus commanded He didn't suggest, he didn't make a suggestion. Well, I think this might be a good idea, guys. Uh, He commanded that his followers go make disciples of all nations, of all ethnos, all people groups. The history of Bridges Church testifies to our desire to be part of the church's missions to reach all peoples. Not that we've done everything we can do, not that we can't do better. In fact, I believe we can do better. I pray that God continues to use this church to raise up and send qualified, equipped people to the nations, people who uh, take the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to a specific ethnic group and make disciples. This is our mission. But I want to be clear up front that I need some water because I've got a little thing in my... Can you go... uh... Wife of mine, would you please, would you get me a drink? You guys remember that last night in the movie? That's what the Warani wives were for, to provide drinks for their husbands. So thank you, dear. (laughs) She does a lot more than get me drinks, just so you know. So this is our mission. But again, I want to be clear that, that being a missions church does not mean we are not a local church. For some reason, there can be a tension between right here ministry, United States ministry, ministry to the poor here or to college campuses here, and out there missions. But that tension does not need to exist. Every church is called to minister to the culture and community they are in. To minister to people's physical, emotional, and most importantly, their spiritual needs. To proclaim the gospel, teach the word, baptizing, and making disciples where you are. Missions, on the other hand, is the effort of the church to penetrate an unreached people group. To penetrate it with the gospel and establish an ongoing indigenous ministering local church. So the bottom line is, we're on the same team. As the local church succeeds and grows, more men and women can pursue missions. Put simply, missions, our mission involves exporting the local church across cultural barriers. So today, on what we call Mission Sunday, and sometimes I don't, you know... This isn't the only time we talk about. Last week it was another mission Sunday, and hopefully most of the Sundays involve seeing the mission that God has given us. But as we emphasize it, as we hear testimonies from our missionaries, I want to reinforce the value that our church has and will continue to place on our mission. My prayer is that our resolve to actively engage in seeing the gospel go to the unreached will grow. That some might see for the first time the importance that God places on reaching all peoples and others who've heard these things before. If you've been around here for a while, this is I'm, I'm not going to say anything you haven't heard before. But that we'll be motivated again, because we, uh, we sometimes need reminders, we'll be motivated to increase our involvement in missions. So with that in mind, I want to give you three reasons why we must never lose the value we place on being a missions church. And we begin where all our value should be found, the Word of God. Our mission is central to God's Word. We've seen that briefly, Matthew 28. But I think that many Christians have the false impression that God's heart to reach the nation's God suddenly opened his eyes in Matthew. Maybe John 3.16, he, he saw, oh, finally, I love the world. That in the Old Testament, for example, God was only working with one ethnic group and he had blinders on, maybe, to the rest of the nations. Missions didn't really come along, maybe, until after Jesus' death on the cross. But that's not the case. And I want to show you this by hitting some of the, uh, what I call, missions highlights found both in the Old and New Testaments. I want us to see that from the beginning, God's heart has always been to reach all peoples. (coughs) So let's begin close to the beginning in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This was, uh, if, if you were here uh, almost 50 years ago, this was the passage Dave Doherty, our founding pastor, preached on probably more than any other. Uh, his missions his, always took him back to Genesis 12 for some, for some reason. That's my recollection. This is called the Abrahamic covenant. But before we read these verses, it's important we see the context. What's going on? In the previous chapter, Genesis 11 we have the, uh, the Tower of Babel incident. You guys, if you're not familiar with it, uh, you, if you're here last week, Ash talked about it. That was a big part of his message. He talked about the Tower of Babel. Prior to, no, don't build towers, build bridges. We all remember that from last week. Prior to Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, everyone on the earth shared the same language. And they came together to build a tower to heaven. Why? So that they would not be scattered among the earth. They were seeking their own glory and even violating the command God gave to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Don't build up, try to reaching heaven, but fill the earth. So the Lord came down and confused their language and they scattered over all the earth. This sets the stage for Genesis chapter 12. We have an earth uh, with many different groups of people. Languages, cultures are forming. And in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in you all the families of the earth shall shall be blessed. It was as if God looked down from heaven and seeing all these different people's languages that he had created when he dispersed them out, and wanting to reach them all, he came up with a plan. Now, he could have chosen a representative from each of these existing people groups, but that wasn't his plan. He chose one man to start a new group that would be his chosen people. God chose Abram, or Abraham, from among the peoples. He chose Abraham, which means father of nations, or father of multitudes, and God made a covenant with him. And this covenant included the fact that through him, through Abraham's descendants, all the families, the peoples of the world, would be blessed. The Apostle Paul, close to 2,000 years later in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, wrote of this covenant, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. That word Gentiles is the Greek word ethnos, peoples. When God made his covenant with Abraham, he was not thinking of the Jewish people only. He had all peoples in mind. Yes, Abraham, I will bless you. I'll make you into a great nation, and you will be a blessing. God, from the beginning, was planning for the gospel to go to all peoples. And ultimately, as Paul points out, that blessing would come through Jesus Christ. So again, from the beginning of nations, the beginning of actual nations in Genesis chapter 11, God's heart has always been to bless, to reach them all. But wait a minute, you might be thinking, isn't the Old Testament actually filled with examples of God judging the nations? It is. It's got lots of those. And it's also full of examples of God judging His people, the nation Israel. But in both cases, God's judgments were more than punishments. Through judgment, God was demonstrating His great power. He was revealing Himself to Israel and to the nations. Let's look at one of the harshest judgments judgments ever recorded in the Old Testament. Uh, the ten plagues. Not the one plague. The ten plagues. What was God accomplishing through the plagues? Was His only desire to crush the Egyptians and to force them to let His people go? Or was there more? Well, in Exodus chapter 7, verse 5, God states, at least in part, at least part of His purpose for the ten plagues. He says to Moses, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Each of the plagues... God sent was calculated to both show God's power and to destroy the Egyptians' trust in their false gods. And in one false god in particular, the Egyptians uh, worshipped their Pharaoh. He was God in human form. And with each of the plagues, God demonstrated that Pharaoh was powerless against the one true God. So what happened? Well, we've all read the story, or seen the movies. I mean, this is a one of those epics. We know that Israel escaped through the Red Sea, but is that it? Well, in the uh, in my uh, second favorite movie about the Ten Commandments, the Prince of Egypt, animated, if you haven't seen it, good stuff. There's a very brief scene during the Exodus that gives the answer. We see two Egyptians. Uh, just standing there, and they're conversing, they're holding spears as they watch the children of Israel exit, exit the land. The Egyptians don't say a word, at least we don't hear them, they just look at each other, they drop their spears, and join in the exodus. And you might say, who cares what the prince of Egypt has to say, Uh, but this scene is based on a true story, That's what the Bible says happened. Exodus chapter 12, verses 37 and 38, we read, and the people of Israel journeying from Ramses to Succoth, and about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children, a mixed multitude also went up with them. Who was this mixed multitude? Who were the people that left Egypt uh, with the children of Israel? They were the Egyptians and other foreigners who lived in Egypt. Egypt uh, didn't just have the the Jewish slaves. They had others. They were people who were seeing God's demonstrate His power. In seeing that, they realized their greatest hope was to join God's people. So even God's judgments on the nations were meant to demonstrate who He was that some might see, that some might turn to Him. God's heart has always been for all peoples. Now moving along in time, When the Jewish people were, you know, they left Egypt, they wandered, they eventually went into the promised land, eventually had a King Saul, David, now we're moving all the way to Solomon. They set up a kingdom, and King Solomon is in the midst of where we're going, dedicating the temple to the Lord. They built a temple. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 41 through 43, we read part of King Solomon's prayer of dedication. He says, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, comes from a far country for your namesake. For they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays towards this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house That I have built is called by your name. This is so odd if if you think of history and people. This king who should be concerned about his people in the dedication of their temple is praying that God would bless the foreigners, bless the people that come, that, that all peoples would know of the one true God. Solomon knew that people in other nations would hear of God's greatness and come to the temple seeking him. And his prayer was that God would answer the prayers of these foreigners, thus spreading the word of God to all peoples on earth. But unfortunately, Solomon uh, married foreign wives and allowed the worship of foreign gods in the land of Israel. This began this downhill uh, spiral for the nation. Their, Their kingdom was divided, and they had one bad king after another. Because of Israel, Israel's continued, continued disobedience to God, they were judged. They were defeated in war, taken out of the promised land, and landing in exile. And even in exile, God was working through his faithful servants to be witnesses to the nations. One of the greatest examples of this is the, uh, the, was Daniel. If you were with us during our series through the book, book of Daniel, or even if you weren't, you probably have heard of him before. You know something about Daniel. He was faithful to God in the midst of a pagan culture. When prayer to any god any, any god except for the king was banned, forbidden, Daniel held his ground and continued to pray to his God, to the one true God. And because of his faithfulness, he was thrown into the famous lion's den, Daniel and lion's den. We all know the story, and we know that God intervenes. We know that Daniel escapes the lion's den. We we know uh, that those who got him thrown in there are punished, and that's usually where the story ends. But that's not the end of the story. Daniel chapter 6, verses 26 and 27, tells what follows. Here are the words of King Darius, the ruler of the Medes and Persians, the one who made the law that caused Daniel to get thrown into the lion's den, says this, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He has saved Daniel from the power of the lion." God's deliverance of Daniel was was such a great witness to his power that this pagan king issued a decree commanding the worship of the one true God, the God of Daniel. And the Old Testament has many other examples of God's heart for the nations. We could have talked about Joseph and the blessing he was to the nation of Egypt and really the world during a huge famine. We could have talked about the law. God's law, and how God wanted His people to treat foreigners with mercy and justice. We could have talked about Jonah, the reluctant missionary to Israel's enemies, Nineveh. And don't forget the Psalms. They're full of praise and worship of God. But that praise and worship has a context, a place to praise God. And that place is often among the nations. We saw this, Sean read from Psalm, what was the Psalm, Sean? This morning 96. psalm 96 right there we saw it last week psalm 67 which ash preached on which i'm going to touch on in a minute and one of the most familiar verses in the psalm psalm forty-six, ten says be still and know that i'm god you guys have read that you've heard that most of us have heard this verse i even have a t-shirt with those words on it and i'm interestingly enough i bought the t-shirt at walmart not in California, in Missouri. It's a little different, Walmart in Missouri. Anyway, but again, as in the story of Daniel, most of us stop there, be still and know that I'm God. Great. But when we do, this becomes a personal call to rest in the Lord, to be quiet before him, to listen. But the verse doesn't end there. You know, we often we often totally miss the context, pluck verses, but oftentimes we'll just pluck a phrase out. We do, you know, and that's what we do here. Here's the verse. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Pause and know the awesome power of God. He's still and know how powerful he is. Listen, because that awesome power and might and holiness and righteousness is to be declared among the nations. Here's the application. Declared among the nations. Yes, in Christ we can have those still quiet moments with God, but never forget, God is more than your personal Savior. He's more than your friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. That's great. He is that. But he's the God of all peoples. And all peoples must hear of his glory because God's heart is for all peoples. Amen? Okay, we need to move to the New Testament. We looked at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But in each of the Gospels and the book of Acts, Jesus also gives similar commissions. Let me just read them. And Jesus said to them, go into the world and proclaim the Gospel to the whole creation that's Mark. John, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Acts. But you will, Jesus said it, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We'll get to Luke shortly. But each of these verses clearly states the mission that God has given His church. And if you take the time to read the book of Acts which I recommend. uh, It's a good book. Uh, You'll see that the early church uh, gave themselves to this mission. The main character in the book of Acts is, uh, well, the main character is the Holy Spirit. The main human character is the Apostle Paul. And his story is of a man called by God and driven by that call to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. In Romans 15:20, Paul writes, "And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not what Christ has been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation." We saw that, and if if you saw the movie last night, or if you've read the story, it gives more details about the motivation of these five men who went into the Warani tribe and were martyred. You know that was their ambition to to go someplace where the gospel had, and it certainly hadn't hadn't been there. And Paul's ambition was to preach the gospel. But not just preach it. Paul took the Great Commission seriously, and his mission was to preach the gospel where it had not been heard before, to the unreached. So I hope it's clear that our mission, reaching all peoples, is central to God's Word, both in the Old and New Testaments. But just in case uh, you're not convinced, let me look at one passage. I saved Luke for last because it shows in the New Testament that our mission was central to the Old Testament. I think Sean read this for us this morning too. In Luke chapter 24 verses 45 to 48, after his resurrection, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and we read, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it was written, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is Jesus' summary, or Luke's summary of Jesus' summary, of the Scriptures. But what Scriptures? the Old Testament, because at this point there was no New Testament. Jesus said that the Old Testament covers two main themes. First, that the Christ will suffer, die, and rise from the dead. This speaks of redemption. This speaks of the fulfillment of the sacrificial system seen in the Old Testament. This speaks of the fulfillment of prophecy and and much more. And second, Second theme, that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. This too speaks of redemption. It speaks of the nation Israel being a blessing to all the nations through Christ. It makes it clear that our mission is central to all of God's Word. That's God's heart revealed in God's Word has always been for all peoples. And therefore, our hearts... And our mission should include all peoples. Ask yourself, do I, like the God I claim to follow, have a heart for the world, for the unreached, for those who've never heard the gospel? And that brings us to our second point. Our mission is not only central to God's word, but our mission brings hope to God's world. If you remember from several weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 24. In the first verse, David writes, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The earth, the world, and all who dwell therein belong to the Lord. All people belong to the Lord. They are His, and He has a heart for them. Our mission is to take the gospel to all His people in His world. And why should we do that? Certainly because it's commanded by God. In his word. But it's commanded for a reason. And that reason is that without the gospel, there's no hope. There's no hope in this life and there's no hope in the life to come. The world is full of problems and the gospel is the only eternal solution. The gospel brings hope, not wishful thinking, but surety in God's future's promises. If you remember from our study in the book of Colossians several months ago, Paul writes to the church, and you who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, you who had no hope, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you come to faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, became a minister. Do you see the mission here? To proclaim the gospel that gives hope to a hopeless world. The the Colossians heard, heard this gospel through Epaphras, who heard it through Paul. And it's our mission to proclaim the same gospel of hope, the gospel of Jesus Christ to God's world today. But I think we tend to forget about the world. We get so focused on our own issues, our own problems, the problems in our city, in our state, in our country, of which there are a lot. So many, in fact, that we tend to forget about the world. Uh, We've got enough problems here. I don't need to go beyond this. We forget that we've been commanded to to reach the world for Christ. We need to be reminded, and I've asked uh, Jay Che. There he is. Hey, Jay. Uh, To give us a reminder, Jay and Suzanne work with a mission organization called Frontiers. That's a great name for a mission organization, by the way. Frontiers helps the local church send missionaries to the... Frontiers? Is that fair? Okay, Suzanne's given me this. Well, maybe. I don't know. Anyway... (laughs) (laughs) to places where the name of Christ is not known. And Jay and Suzanne have recently spent some time going out into God's world. So I've asked Jay to share with us not only about his ministry, but how the gospel brings hope to the world. Jay?
0: Pastor Cliff? And good morning. um, We live, Suzanne and I, my wife and I live in uh, Arizona. So when we come out to Riverside, uh, we often experience a major cooling trend. (laughs) So if you uh, see me shivering, actually, I'm cold. And I'm not kidding. (laughs) um, uh, As I was hearing also just earlier, as Tom and also as Kayla shared, um, reminded me of the question that I often ask um, people, where is the center of Christianity? And um, if you look at a lot of the major world religions, you could kind of point to a certain place where you could say, yeah, this is the center of that religion, center of that faith. And I often ask that question, and I think um, the answer to that usually is not a, a particular location Or even a place, uh, but oftentimes it's where his people are at, and um, it's as as a um, Pastor Cliff reminded us. You know, uh, those centers could be where Abraham was, uh, where Moses lived and led, and where Solomon built uh, his great uh, testimony to his kingdom. Uh, It could be where Tom is seeking to place. Um, the, the gospel in places where, in the campus where there's not. It could be Kayla, uh, ministering and giving hope to young women. And it could be Nayeli, uh, who is also being a bright, shining light to uh, true Christ is, among her people, her, her family, and even her campus. And so, uh, I think in many ways, um, God tends to like to move the center around, Uh, with his people, and if some people have figured it out, that they kind of understand what that and where that is, I think he takes joy in taking that away and moving it elsewhere. Um, But to be uh, seriously, um, I prepared a lot of notes here, uh, but I decided to just kind of completely move away from it. Just kidding. (laughs) You should have seen Pastor Cliff's uh, expression. I I will stick very close to the notes. (laughs) <laughs> but anyway, gospel changes everything. Um, Tim Keller, a pastor, author, and a theologian uh, who recently just passed away, would always begin his podcast by saying that the gospel changes everything. Gospel came to Suzanne and I, uh, or Suzanne and me, to be more accurate in vocabulary or, gospel, or, or the grammar. When we were in our teens... Um, we, we we gospel came to us, and um, I was uh, in college. Suzanne was high school, and I was at UCR freshman year. So when this gospel came, it changed everything for us. And we looked at the world differently. We looked at others differently. We had new eyes to see truly the depth of our brokenness, but also to see truly how We are made in God's image uh, with worth far greater than what we possibly could have imagined for ourselves. So now we are in our 50s, and we are still awed by how much gospel continues to change everything. Uh, In Pakistan, a man named Noor uh, fled his native Afghanistan over seven years ago uh, because of persecution to his minority, Hazara peoples. As a refugee in Pakistan, he met a frontiers missionary uh, from the Netherlands. Um, Noor heard the gospel for the very first time. For the very first time. And realized that the God of the scriptures that we just heard about loved the Hazara people. And in fact, that this God had high regard for all peoples. Buoyed by this extraordinary love, Noor realized that his life was not an accident, not a mistake, but one full of purpose and hope. So a few years down the road, in August 2021, just two, years, two short years ago, the government of Afghanistan collapsed, and the curtain of Islamic rule came down on the nation, casting vast chaos that continues to this day. And many Hazara people, Noor's people, Fearing a wave of another persecution yet again, fled, as it's sensible to do, and fled Afghanistan to the porous border with Pakistan. And many hundreds, actually hundreds, came to the same town where Noor lived. And Noor uh, moved with compassion, organized a response with assistance of the frontiers team working alongside him. To shelter these homeless refugees, provide food, and to help create industry within their settlement for sustainability and economic stability. One important fact that was not lost on the many Hazara refugees that Noor was helping was that Noor also reached out to those in the refugee community who were not Hazara. In fact, even many from the tribes who historically persecuted the Hazara peoples. Learning about the gospel that defied these tribal boundaries, many Hazara began to study the scriptures together within their families and across the tribes in the wider refugee settlement. So, I was recently able to verify that there are now over 60 discipleship groups meeting regularly together to inhabit the gospel through the scriptures. Frontier's team has witnessed dozens of baptisms within this refugee community in this region. Hope has a way of becoming contagious. So Suzanne and I have been very privileged, I mean, um, more beyond than our imagination to be able to be in this front row to see God at work in this Muslim world these two past decades. Uh, We became involved in this work uh, to be witness of how God transforms fundamentally heart and societies, even in the places of great distance and great challenges. So as we witnessed uh, Christians making bold statements of faith and transformation within their communities, my ministry through Frontiers now focuses on engaging these sprouting Christian communities to form entities. Um, new sending organizations, bringing the message of hope to their nearby Muslim communities and to cross cultures, as people have done throughout centuries, to cross cultures in obedience to the scriptures. So we are seeing sending initiatives forming in China, Ethiopia, Egypt, India, Indonesia, Kenya, Nigeria, Uzbekistan, among them. And these are just the emerging sending communities that we are in relationship with. Um, I and the Frontiers team come alongside uh, these emerging sending impulses by honestly sharing from our past mistakes. Western Mission has been a history of incredible faith and pioneering, but also of trial and error. So we model with our experience, but also with our humility and desire to see others do what we cannot. So I come alongside by sharing resources. Resources often come in forms of finances to build capacity and training to increase increase skill. We also come alongside by calling Christian community to act on behalf of the hurting world, as I shared in the example of refugee crises uh, when NUR became a channel of hope. Uh, even to those outside of his tribe. So as the Samaritans were coming to seek him, Jesus said to his disciples, Lift up your eyes to see that the fields are white for harvest. Many reapers, many reapers will go to the harvest field for many nations. They will go because of those who have sown before them. And I feel in many ways like a door opener for this new generation of reapers to go out. When the fruits are gathered, both sowers and reapers will rejoice together, Jesus said. And I do look forward to that time. And all the things that have been untrue will be made true again. Uh, Thank you for sowing, for the Bridges family here. Thank you for your role as a sower. In many ways, you will also be able to rejoice together with the reapers so thank you, but yet there is still much work to be done. So it's too early to celebrate. Cliff.
1: Thanks, Jay. What a blessing to hear God, what God is doing uh, in our world. Just these little, these little snippets, and uh, thank you, Jay, the gospel brings hope. We've seen that our mission is both central to God's word, and our, go- our mission brings hope to God's world, and we're drawing to a close here. There's one final crucial aspect of our mission. Third and final point, our mission increases God's worship. This really follows again on Ash's message from last week in Psalm 67. Let me just read and comment on the first three verses of that psalm. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Stop and think about that. May God bless us. Why? Why does the psalmist pray for God's blessing? That your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among the nations. Among all nations. God blesses his people. Back to Genesis chapter 12, so that His way may be known on the earth. So that a blessing might go forth to the nations. That His saving power might be understood among the nations. Or we could say God blesses His people that they might go forth to the nations and declare His ways. To make known His saving power. And why do we go forth to the nations declaring the saving power of the Lord? Verse 3, Let the peoples praise you, O Lord. Let all the peoples praise you. We go forth that the peoples, the nations, might praise and worship and honor and glorify God. Yes, we go forth in obedience to his word. Yes, we go forth to bring hope to God's world. But ultimately, we go forth to increase God's worship, to bring God glory. Why did God give us a mission? Why is it so important that all peoples are reached with the gospel? Well, you might answer, so people don't go to hell. And that's a good good answer, that's part of it. But it's not all or even the ultimate purpose of mission. We must understand that God, not man, is the focus of all things. It's not about you, it's not about me, it's not about us, it's not even ultimately about the world. It's about God. When we understand that He deserves the worship, the praise, the honor, the glory of of not just us sitting here this morning, of not just this nation, but of all peoples. When we understand that He is the creator, the possessor of all things, that this is not our story, this is His story When we understand that the hope and joy of the world will only come through the glorification of God, our best lives, if you will, are only lived in the shadow of God's glory, then God, not man, becomes our mission, central to our mission. This moves our mission and its ultimate purpose to a a new level. John Piper, in his book, let the nations be glad you knew we wouldn't leave here without something from John. He said this, one of my favorite, maybe my favorite missions quote, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Our mission is not only to see the salvation of the nations, but to see God's glory declared and increased among all peoples. To see men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping the one true God. A.W. Tozer said, God saves men to make them worshipers. Ultimately, our mission is to declare God's glory to the nations. That men and women everywhere might have the opportunity to worship and glorify God This side of heaven, and to one day join in that heavenly chorus of worship. I mean, just read the, I mean, I had a bunch more, I had to cut some stuff, okay? Because we're getting late. But I had verses in Revelation, just read Revelation 5, which I'll do in a second here, Revelation 7. To one day join in that heavenly chorus. This is the end, this is what's gonna happen. We just need to jump on board as the people from every tribe and tongue and language say, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forevermore. We know that's what's happening in the end, so that's the goal now as well. So I hope we've seen that our mission is central to God's word, brings hope to God's world, and increases God's worship. And the question I want to leave us with is this. Uh, It's... The the normal question at the end of sermons, uh, what are you going to do about it? You know, what does that mean for you? How are you going to engage in the mission God has given you who are part of his church? Let me just encourage you with a couple, you know, ideas, possible ways. This isn't in your notes, but uh, it'll be up there on the board. First, learn about, learn more about mission. Read a missionary biography. Watch End of the Spear. Watch a missionary movie. I can recommend a number of biographies that had great influence on me as I sought missions as a college student. Go to the websites of of the missionaries we support, their organizations. Learn more about what they do. Learn more about what's happening in the world. Lots of great information. Learn about the places and needs where we 've sent and are supporting missionaries or other places that God puts on your heart here on the screen i've put we 've sent uh, from this church we've we support people from all those places learn about one of them second pray about pray more about our mission. take a few of in the back on the foyer we have a table and it I think it represents most, some of the missionaries are kind of incognito and we have to can't talk about them much and they might not be there, but, but most of them are there. They have prayer cards with information about them and you can begin praying for them, contact them, get on their list to get their, their prayer letters, become a prayer partner, become a financial partner, invest in them, invest with your time, invest with your resources in one of our missionaries, talk to the members in mission who are here today. Talk to them about how you can pray for them, how you can support them. Do a study and pray based on Jesus' only prayer request. Anybody know what that is? Jesus did one prayer request. Somebody read the beginning of it. Jay read the beginning of it. Matthew 9, 37, 38. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord, of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. Do you pray that? Do you pray that God would send out laborers into his harvest field? Pray also about how you might personally be part of going to the harvest field. And then finally, act. Act on our mission. You know, you, you could join our missions team. Just, we would help you learn more about missions if you join a, our missions team, and you could help us with our missions conference and other things we're doing. Go on a short-term mission trip. We're hoping to possibly go to uh, uh, Spain next summer. We've talked about that. Don't put it on your calendar. We haven't firmed it up, but we're, we're thinking about it. Begin seeking God about serving long-term in a place where the gospel is not established. I know that sounds super radical, but we, we've sent forth people to do that and we could continue to do that. These are just a few suggestions. There are many ways to engage in our mission. And if you're unsure about how you want to pursue that, I'd just like to offer myself as a resource to you. Myself and there are others here in our church who have had experience in missions and would love to just help you. Uh, I'm not sure. I This is maybe new to me. Tell me more. I'd love to talk to you about how you could be more involved in, uh, it's our mission, but it's your mission, how you can find your part in going and making disciples of all peoples. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, your love for us, for your heart for us, that you saved us, that you called us to yourself. And I pray that we would not take that for granted. Lord, I pray that we would respond uh, in love for you, in obedience to you, in a desire to obey your word, in a desire to see the world transformed by you, and in a desire, most of all, to see you worshiped. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I pray that people can do that this side of heaven. And they can spend eternity with you and love you and worship you and honor you. So be with us. Give us direction uh, for how we can be involved in uh, the mission you've given us. In Christ's name, amen.